Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. In John 14, 15, the Bible says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, I Want That, Not This. Do a visual with me this morning. Are you ready? I just want you to do two things. Well, I, want you to, I want you to first to point to heaven. Then I want you to point to yourself. Do it. At, all right. So you got that figured out. Let's do it together, though. Let's wait. I want that, not this. Pray with me. God, we love you, and we thank you for the Holy Ghost. God, we need you more than we need ourselves. And I pray today, Lord, that you would step me aside and use me for your glory. God, I pray you'd anoint me, Father. Please strengthen my body. And God, allow me to speak on your behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. I want that, not this. We need to get to the place in our lives as Christians, and, and if you're not saved right now, hang out. This, this, I'll get to you in a minute. But for everybody in the room that's really saved, we got to get to the place in our life where we truly desire God more than we desire us, where we truly desire God's things more than we desire our things, where we're truly willing to have what he wants for us more than what we want for ourselves. And in this passage that I just read, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the time that he would be gone. If you study the Gospels, you find out that the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ was a little over three years. And tradition historians say that Jesus lived about a little over 33 and a half years. So what we find out through studying the life of Jesus is that he spent 30 years in preparation to do three years of ministry that culminated in three hours of purpose on the cross, which is so counterintuitive to what we see happening in Christian lives today. People get saved, and they want to know when they can be the pastor. People who can't quote 15 verses of Scripture want a title and their own church when that's not really the way things were ever set up in the Hebrew world, and our God is a Hebrew. Amen? You know, the Bible says that God will bless those who bless the people of Israel, and God will curse those who curse the people of Israel. You you don't need to tell racial jokes at all. Amen? Find something else to joke about. But you certainly don't need to talk bad about Hebrew people. You certainly don't need to talk bad about the people of Israel. The people of Israel understood because God had been with them from the beginning and God has a special purpose for them and they understood process. Say process. I am not a Philadelphia 76er fan. 
Never have been. I, I'm, I'm not a Philadelphia 76er fan, and I, I think it's funny that they keep t saying, trust the what? One basketball fan in the whole. Thanks, Coach. I appreciate that, man. I wish somebody besides me and you would watch the NBA every now and then. Wouldn't that be good? They, they get off the bachelor and all these other things. They just watch some good, clean, honest sports. But they, they're talking about trust the process. Now, what they mean when they say trust the process, they're begging their fans not to be mad at them for losing every year. They're begging their fans not to be mad at them. Even though they get a top draft pick every year, they still can't string together six wins in a row. But when, when, I, say, when I talk about the process of God, I want you to know when we should trust the process of God, but if we do trust his process, there's no losing seasons when you're trusting God's process. Amen? Amen. But this life in Christianity, is, it's, a, it's a process. And even the Lord Jesus Christ himself went through a process. He prepared for what God has for him. And I hope that while you're sitting wondering what it is God has for you to do in your life, I hope while you are doing what you feel like God has for you to do in your life, that you are willing to prepare for that big thing. Say big thing. You're not here by accident. You're not on this planet by mistake. God puts you in this earth for a purpose, and you need to be preparing every day for that purpose. Jesus came. He was about to fulfill his purpose. He was about to go to the cross and die and leave this planet. So he had been preparing for 30 years. Then he came out in public ministry when he had John the baptizer baptize him in the Jordan River. He began his public ministry, and he started doing miracles, and he started going around teaching about his father in heaven and the kingdom of his father and people began to listen to him and and it's the same way with every real preacher they 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 some liked him some didn't like him the ones that liked him stopped liking him after he told them they were wrong that's how you go from 500 down to 100 now see that, that or, or from 5,000 in Jesus case down to 120 after he died but Jesus is teaching, and crowds are coming, and crowds are leaving, and new people are coming in, and old people are going out. But now Jesus is coming to the very end of his earthly ministry, and these 12 people, these 12 men that he'd hand-selected, that he'd be pouring his life into, he's letting them know, I am about to leave. Now, that, that right there was not good news for them. They didn't like that. Imagine if you gave your life to some religious teacher, and you you just swore right or die to them, and they prove right or die to you, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, by the way, I'm dying next week, and I'm leaving. And you're thinking, I lost all my friends behind this. My mom and daddy don't even talk to me anymore behind this. I sold everything I had and, and, and gave it to this ministry. I've given everything I have to this. And so they're concerned. They're confused. They're like, you're leaving us. You, I mean, we, we gave everything for you but he's preparing them to let them know they would never be alone and if you understand true Christianity and you're really born again you're never alone you never have to wait to get to heaven to spend time with the Lord let's look at what this passage says in verse 15 he said if you love me 
keep my commandments. Mm. That's a whole message on its own. I'm not going to preach all these verses today. I'm just going to hit some stuff and get out of your way. But he said, if you love me, comma. We talk a lot at Abundant Life about how to understand the Bible because I don't want you just to know what mama believes about the Lord. I don't want you just to know what pastor believes about the Lord. I want you to be able to understand the Word of God for yourself. So one of the ways that I've taught you to understand the Word of God is by paying attention to what? Pay attention to the punctuation. It will help you understand what you're reading. It will allow you to take the Bible in bite-sized pieces so that you can digest it. And Jesus said, if you love me, comma. So you got to pause. You should pause. You don't have to, but you should pause and think about that. If you love me. We also talk about different principles here on how to understand the Bible. And one of those is the principle of inference. Some things are said that infer more than what is just said. Sometimes a look infers stuff. Sometimes uh, just, just, just uh, an eye cut infers stuff. But he's inferring something here when he says, if you love me. What, what's he inferring? You may, you may not. Some do. Some don't. In this room right now, that would be a very appropriate thing for the Lord to say. If you, so I, I say on his behalf, if you love the Lord. Because I know there's some people in this room that love the Lord, and I can tell by the way some of y'all staring at me that you might not love the Lord so much, or maybe in your mind you love him but you don't love me, but he already said if you don't love me, you can't love him. That's why all racists go to hell. That's why all bigots go to hell. That's why all people that don't love people go to hell, because the Bible says if you don't love people who you can see is impossible to love a God who you can't see he said if you love me he knows some of them did and some of them didn't he knows some of them were real and, and some of them were fake and he knew some of them were all in and others were half stepping but he's setting up a proof text here he's setting up a way to show love he said keep my commandments and I told you all our theme for 2018 is love requires action. It's a biblical concept. This is a Holy Ghost concept. This is a Jesus Christ of Nazareth concept. He said, if you love me, you're going to have to do something about it. If you love me, and see, this, this is why when we have praise and worship, you shouldn't need me to re-break my neck trying to get you to lift your hands to, to the Lord. You shouldn't. You shouldn't have to have anybody sing your favorite song. You shouldn't have to love the music. You shouldn't have to love the singing. You shouldn't have to love the, the choice of selection. When we say go, you just ought to go. When, when we say it's time to praise the Lord, you ought to have a clap in your hands. You ought to have rejoicing in your heart. If we really could get past cliches, because some people are great at cliches, especially the older you get. You know, if you let, you know, grandmama, granddaddy, uncle so-and-so say the speech before Thanksgiving meal, you know, they, they throw every cliche out there in the world. I'd just like to give, first of all, thanks unto God if it had not been for the Lord. who And just on and on and on and on and on. But if you get past that type of foolish rhetoric and you really understand all that God has done for you, 
if you get past rhetoric and church and you ever realize that he saved you when he didn't have to, he loved you when you weren't worth loving, and he held on to you when you tried to run away from him, you won't need anybody to encourage you unto praise. You will have praise in your heart. You will have thankfulness in your heart. The Bible says those who've been forgiven God much love God much. Now, that is a type of wording that is designed to create thought. It's almost as if in a modern-day colloquialism, we would say that's almost tongue-in-cheek because the, when the Bible says those who've been forgiven much love much, that on the surface makes it sound like, oh, it's the drug dealer and the whores that got saved. It's the hookers and the pimps and, and the gangsters that got saved that come in and love God the most because they've been forgiven for much. Well, that can be taken that way. And surely many people, I believe one of the reasons why I've loved God uh, more than anything else since July 15, 1981, the day he saved me. I've, I've been in love. I've been on this love journey with God because I know how far gone I was. I know how deep and low he had to reach to pull me up out of the, the gutter. But when he says those who've been forgiven much, love much, the thought process that's designed to be created is we've all been forgiven for the same amount. Doesn't matter if you've been lily white clean your whole life. Doesn't matter if you're raised in church, never smoked, drank. It doesn't matter if you were like grandpa on hee-haw and you don't smoke, you don't chew, and you never went with girls that do. It doesn't matter how straight-laced you've been. If you ever truly come to a realization that you were sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more, but the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, and from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. If you understood that God saved you, that you were a sinner on your way to hell, then you're going to realize, man, I've been forgiven for much. You might have come to Christ at five years old. You've been forgiven for much. You say, well, how much can a five-year-old do? Keep nursery twice. You'll know. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. The whole message right there, I'm trying to move past it. It's just hard to move past what the Lord says. This is as real today as it was 2,000 years ago when he spoke it out of his mouth in the Middle East. He said he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said his word abides forever. If you love the Lord, the proof text for that is keeping his commandments. I wonder how your proof text look lately. I like the expression, although sometimes I can say amen. Sometimes I have to say oh me or ouch or shut up. I don't want to hear it. But if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to even get a guilty verdict on you? If the people, not your confession, but what if the, your friends, what if, what, what, what if your running buddies, what if your partners were, were, were to be pulled into a room and say, do you really believe that he's all that saved, born again, fire baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, love Jesus more than anything else? Well, 
And then, 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 then their testimony for a lot of people would be, well, she talks about it a lot. Or he, he runs a good game in his mouth. But do you really love the Lord? See, it has to move beyond just words because the Scripture says don't just love in words but love in actions. And this is what Jesus is saying. Then he said in verse 16, he said, and I will pray the Father. Who's he praying the Father for? Can you tell? He's praying the Father for the people who really love him. How do you prove that you really love him? You keep his commandments. And when you love him and you keep his commandments, then he prays to the Father, and the Father shall give you another comforter. Come. The Father shall give you another comforter. That signifies that they've had a comforter. Guess who's been their comforter for the last about 18 months? Jesus has. He's been there all in all. He's been there everything. He's, they, they, they have hung on every word out of his mouth, mostly. They, just like us, they rise and fall. They do good and they do bad. But he's been the one who's been bringing them comfort. Some other versions say helper or lawyer. <laughs> I like having a good lawyer, especially when you're guilty. Amen? You know, if you're guilty and you have a good lawyer, he'll get you off. That's why most rich folk don't go to jail. Well, the, the word here for comforter or helper is, is parakletos in the Greek, and it means advocate, one who stands before a judge and works on your behalf to get you off. If you're saved, you understand that concept at all, that when you stand before God in heaven, you, you better have some type of confidence that says Jesus is going to step in and, 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 and say, Father, we, I got this one right here. And Jesus is telling them, look, I know y'all are going to miss me, but if you love me, keep my commandments. I'm going to pray to the Father, and he's going to give you another comforter. That's what it says, that he may abide with you forever. Jesus is leaving. They're sad about that. His speech to them is, for those of y'all that really love me, the Father's going to send you somebody that's not going to be with you for 16, 18 months. He's going to send you somebody that's going to be with you forever. Verse 17 says, even the spirit of truth. So now he's saying who this comforter is, the spirit of truth. We call him the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. He says, whom the world cannot receive. Who cannot receive the Holy Ghost? Anybody know why the world can't receive the Holy Ghost? Because they don't love him. Stay contextual with me. He said, for those that love him, they're the ones that keep his commandments. So the commandment-keeping people are the ones that love him. The people who keep the commandments are the ones that love him. The ones that love him are the one he prays to the Father for to send the Holy Ghost to, the spirit of truth, the comforter, the helper, the paracletos, the advocate, your, your Holy Ghost lawyer, your heavenly lawyer. The world can't receive that person. The world can't receive the Holy Spirit because they don't see him. Faith is believing in things you cannot. Some people, you know, the Missouri people, whether the show me state, they, they, they got to see it to believe it. See, we, we, we are infected with lack of faith in church folk. Infected by people who don't really believe because they can't see. Infected by people who don't really believe be, be, because they, they, they don't understand. Jesus, Christianity, is not a faith of sight 
or intellect is not a fate of blind stupidity either. We have evidence to our faith. The Bible says that faith has evidence. It's, it, it, it's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. I can't see the Lord, but I can show you in my life evidence of his change in my life. I can't see the Lord, but I can show you in the earth evidence of him being alive. The world can't receive this, this spirit of truth. The world can't get this type of comforter on the inside because they don't see him. So they don't have faith. They have sight. That's cancel out. You can't please God without faith. And they don't know him. I wonder if you know him. Do you know the Lord? If, you were to, if I had to give you a microphone right now and I stood up and I said, tell me everything you know about the Lord. What could you say about him? Now, if I said, tell me everything you know about you, oh, well, I'd have to sit down. Take this uncomfortable brace off my neck and just take a nap. Jesus said, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Let's talk. Let me get a Bible genius in the room. He says, for he dwelleth with you. That's present tense. He shall be in you. That's what? That's future tense. So he dwells with you now. These people that Jesus is talking to, now some of y'all going to get this right and get this wrong, some get to get it wrong. Don't, don't feel bad about it. We're all in our process. We're all learning. He said, for he dwells with you, that's now, and shall be in you, that's then, to the people he was talking to right then on that day, his 12 disciples, was the spirit of truth in them. Not yet. Say not yet. Not yet but he's coming. Not yet, but the promise of the Father is to send you another to stand in Jesus' stead. And Jesus said, you know, right now he just dwells around you, but he's going to be in you. And some of y'all have heard me talk about the difference between Old Testament believers and New Testament believers. See, everybody in the history of the world got saved by what Jesus did on the cross. Faith in what Jesus did on the cross. Faith that Messiah came and sacrificed and shed his blood for the payment of our sins. Old Testament believers looked forward to the cross. They believed by faith that Messiah was coming. So faith in the cross and the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross saved them. We look back on the cross. But either way, is faith in the sacrifice of Messiah. And Old Testament believers, they had a little different than us. And these believers here had it different than us because the Holy Spirit was not yet in them. Even though they believed in God. Even though they were followers of God. The followers of God in the Old Testament, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit would come and move on them. Or rest on them. But then he would leave. And this is what these disciples have been experiencing. Because Jesus sent them out. And they had healed the sick. They, they had done miracles. They, they had preached. They had felt the Holy Spirit move in them, but it was a here and gone thing. It was, a, uh, it was awesome yesterday, but it's not so awesome today kind of thing. He, he was dwelling with them. Jesus said, but he shall be in you. See, Jesus had to leave for the Holy Spirit to come and dwell among God's people. And this is what he's trying to prepare his followers for. And he's, trying to, he's giving them bad news, but he's following up. With good news, 
by telling them, verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Now, if you're reading this with no comprehension, then that sounds kind of confusing because he's saying I'm leaving and somebody else is coming. He's saying the Father will send you another comforter, even the spirit of truth who will be in you. But then he says, I will not leave you comfortless. He said, I will come to you. Any Bible genius in the room want to put 2 and 14 together and, and, and tell me what, what this is letting us know? That the Holy Ghost is who? Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one, even as the Father and Son are one. You say, well, that don't make sense to me. If Jesus is God, who was he praying to? Don't try to be so smart. I told you by faith religion. How can he say, I'm leaving you and I'm coming to you? Well, you could say, well, he's going to come back. No, he was letting them know that this spirit that's going to come to them will be the same person that they've been getting to know for the last year and a half. We are who we are underneath this skin. We are who we are. On, and, and, and see, this is why race is not necessarily a real thing. It's a social construct. Google that and, and get some education. And then maybe, maybe you won't hate people that don't look like you. We are human beings on the inside. There's more to us than what you see. There, there's, there's more to us than what we look like. There's the person that we are on the inside. When you talk about how much you love your mother, hopefully it's not because she wears eyeglasses that you like to shape up. You love your mother's heart. You love who she is. Ain't nothing wrong with her glasses. But, but it's more, it's, it's on the inside, the inside. They had been getting to know Jesus, who he really was. And he said, that spirit that's going to come to you is the same spirit you've been connecting to in me this whole time. So he's telling them, I'm going away. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to raise myself from the dead. What, what a story. What a wild story. What a supernatural story. What a miraculous story. This man tells these people, they're following him ride or die, and he tells them, oh, by the way, I'm going to deliver myself into the hands of sinful men. They're going to beat me. They're going to crucify me. They're going to bury me. Three days later, I'm going to raise myself from the dead. Okay. <laughs> Whatever you say. That is a never-before-heard from, I'm glad you got that, Joy. That is a never-be-heard, nobody ever talked like that before. And the di disciples didn't really understand it altogether because they didn't get to look back on it the way we get to look back on it. They didn't understand all this, but they pieced it together by and by. I hope that what you don't understand, you're allowing the Lord to piece together in your mind. It's called growing. See, he says this Holy Spirit, this spirit of truth, this comforter, he's going to come when I leave. There's a lot of confusion in the church about who has the Holy Spirit. I, I've had people listen to my testimony about salvation. July 15, 1981, beside my bed, came home from a party about 4 o'clock in the morning. I prayed and I asked God to save me. He saved me, changed my life. I've had, I've heard, had people hear that testimony. 
and say, but have you received the Holy Spirit? Did you hear what I said? But have you? Hey, been baptized in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost. Well, you can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. Okay? See, a lot of, when, when they say, but pastor, have you received the Holy Spirit? Anybody know what they're truly trying to ask me? Do you speak in tongues? Do you speak in tongues? And there's a lot of confusion. And, and the Bible says that many people, and, and this was a first century deal because there was a transition going on. There, 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 there was an ushering in of the Holy Spirit and a movement of God in the first century. And, and, and that hasn't ceased. There, there, there's still a movement of God and an ushering in of God's Spirit. And people would get filled with the Holy Spirit and they would speak in tongues. And that still happens today. Some people get filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And the Bible says that some people would get filled with the Holy Spirit and they would speak the Word of God with boldness. And that still happens today. Some people get filled with the Holy Spirit and they speak. They, their witness becomes bolder. Now, if you do a word study, you can Google it. If you do a word study you, and you Google or you search for filled with the Holy Ghost, you'll find out more times than not when people in the Bible were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spake the Word of God with boldness, more so than they spoke in tongues. But in 2018, when people say, have you been filled with the Holy Ghost? What they mean is not have you been saved. They don't mean have you become holy. They don't mean are you one with God. They don't mean do you have a bold witness for Christ. They mean do you speak in tongues. There, there's a lot of confusion on this issue as if some people think you can be saved without the Holy Spirit. But in Romans 8, 9, look what the Bible says. But you're not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, period. So stop right there. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. There's a contrast here. You're either in the flesh or you're in the Spirit. You're in the Spirit if the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Now, when he says if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, what is he inferring? May or he may not. Some of you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Some of you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And to clear up the confusion about how you know whether or not you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, next sentence. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. The King James Version says he is none of his. You can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. Now, there is deeper revelation. There is growth. There is sanctification. There is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. There is going so far out in, in, into what God would have for you that you become more and more filled with God's Spirit. But if you're saved here, the promise that Jesus made to his disciples, the, the, the promise of the Father is that the Spirit will come and not only dwell among you, but live inside you. If you're saved at all, the moment you got saved, the Holy Spirit came to live inside you. That's what the Bible teaches. No matter what your subsequent experiences are beyond that, the moment you got saved, the Holy Spirit came not just to dwell in you, to dwell among you, not just to work around you, but to live inside you and make you in the Spirit because the Spirit of God 
dwells in you. You need to understand, if you're saved, you have the Holy Ghost. Say, I have. I hope you have the Holy Ghost. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, Christianity is not going to be fun for you. Too many people are trying to live a Christian life without Christ on the inside. Remember, Jesus said the Holy Spirit's coming to you, and then he said, I will come to you. So the Holy Spirit is really Jesus on the inside. And if you're saved, you got Jesus on the inside. And if you don't have Jesus on the inside, then you're not saved at all. So the life of the believer is living lost until you came to a confrontation of your sin. You received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. The Spirit of God came to live on the inside of you. So it just used to be you, but now you got him on the inside. But guess what? You still got you. Read what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. He said, I, I, I want to do the good things, but I keep finding myself doing the bad things. And the good things I want to do, I don't do. But the bad things I don't want to do, I find myself doing those. So I find this war on the inside of me. I find a battle of my natures because my new nature wants to serve God, but my old nature continues to serve sin. So there's this war going on for the true Christian. See, lost people don't have to worry about that. Lost people don't have a battle. Lost people just go out, you know, just live wild, whole market, do whatever they want to do, and no strain, no shame. You might have some, some you know, some conscience, but there's a difference between conscience and conviction. You, you might have some morals, but there's a difference between morals and conviction. I never felt like, when I was breaking into people's houses and going to jail for it, I never felt like I was a bad person. I honestly feel more of a bad person now than I felt then. Because now I know the difference between good and bad. Then I was just like, I'm just trying to get me. I'm just trying, I'm just trying to live. I'm, just, I'm not doing anything any worse than what my friends are doing. But when the Holy Spirit came to live inside me, now I've got that, but I still got this. And I told you in the title of the sermon that I want that, not this. That's why I've told you before when people tell me, Pastor, I almost gave this lady at work a piece of my mind. She don't need a piece of your mind. The Bible says if you're saved and you surrender to the Spirit inside you, that you can have the mind of Christ. We need to let Christ in us shine, not us in us. See, you need to learn how to tap in to the Spirit of God and not just the Spirit of yourself. So, true Christians, anybody saved has the promise of God, which is the Holy Spirit living in us. Begs the question, what does that do for me? Well, I'm going to tell you in Acts 1-8, look what the Bible says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So you get power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, not before. You get this special power, say power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, the funny thing about this is it doesn't say that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll talk in tongues, roll in the floor, play with your spiritual gifts all day long, and never change your community. Now, there's a time for doing all those things. But the proof text 
of being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit is your willingness to go out and tell people everywhere about Jesus. He said this power, he's going to give, what's the Holy Spirit does for me? He gives me power to go out and tell the world about Jesus. Do you know if you ever try to tell somebody about Jesus, you're going to figure out sometimes that's awkward. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes, especially if they know you, that's a little difficult because you're thinking, how can I tell them about how much I love the Lord when they was with who I was with before I was with them? You getting all that? I've had people say, I don't believe he's a Christian because I knew him back then. Yeah, that's exactly what you did. You knew them back then, but God gave them power to change. And if you'll allow God to change you, he will give you power to change as well. So the Holy Spirit gives the believer power. Listen to what the Bible says in Micah 3, 8. But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. So the prophet is saying, I am full of power, but keep reading, by the Spirit of the Lord. Full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, here's what I, I want you to get this, and we'll be done. I want you to understand that the New Age lie in churches in America, and this, does, this doesn't happen in Africa. They, they, this doesn't happen in third world countries. This doesn't happen around the globe. This is a plague on American churches. Because Americans are greedy and materialistic. Americans want more, 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 more. And Americans want to feel special as if they're the, Listen, I love America. Don't think I hate this country. Uh, I, uh, I, I love this country. But there, there's a mindset that's prevalent in the church today. And it's being taught by liars in megachurches that you are powerful. All you got to do is pick up Joel's latest book. All you got to do is get Creflo's latest series. All you got to do is listen to Joyce Meyer twice. I'm not mad at any of those. And all of them better preachers than me. But they are putting a twist on American theology that is not biblical. You, now see, some people aren't going to like this. You are not powerful. And God did not design you to be powerful. The engine in my Lincoln is powerful. Won't run without gas. When I sit in my Lincoln and I stomp on the gas and I hear all eight cylinders kick up, I don't think, whoo, I'm powerful. No, I know I have a big engine at about 11 miles a gallon. But the lie that Christians around America are believing because they read it in a book or heard some liar tell them, you are powerful. Your best life now. I read that book and it changed my life. Well, praise the Lord. But God has not designed you to be powerful. God has not designed you to be awesome. I told y'all, So I, I don't remember when, I, when it was. We're walking through Walmart and they got a book rack there and I stop and look, and I see 
at the end of Joel's latest book, and it said, I am. And I thought, oh, man, I love that. I am. Remember what God told Moses when Moses said, who shall I tell them? What is your name? And God said what? I, that's, God, that's God's name. He's not, he's not, he's not the God who was, he's, I, he's, he's a very present God. He, he is always, he, 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 he is, he was, and he will be. And so I'm thinking, man, this is so, and then I read the back jacket. And it says, you are powerful. You are amazing. You are more than you think you are. And it goes on to say how you need to look in the mirror and make your confessions, your I am confessions. And I want you to know that every time you make an I am confession, you flirt with blasphemy. We're watching um, whatever Thor movie that was. Was that Thor with vision in it, Jake? Avengers? We're watching Avengers, and vision comes out. And they asked Vision who he is. Anybody remember what Vision said his name was? I am. He just felt in all his glory. He looks and he just thinks, I am. And I told my kid, that's blasphemy. They, they're trying to attribute, he's trying to attribute power to himself that he doesn't have. God is. Everybody else is just, 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 just coming and going. But this book attributed every piece of I am. I thought. This is going to talk about how great God is. But this book talked about how great we are. And how we need to stare in the mirror and look at ourselves and say, I am beautiful. I am strong. I am amazing. Now, there's a part. I, and I am not mad at, at, at positive confession. I'm not mad at, at you, you developing a healthy self-image. But I am mad at heresy and lies in the church. And God never intended for human beings to be powerful. He intended for human beings to allow him to be powerful through them. The Apostle Paul said, I, I'm dead to myself. The life I'm living now, the life that you see me living in this flesh, it's not me, but it's Christ in me. And as Christians, you need to learn how to let God be powerful in you. If you want to be powerful, you're going to keep bumping your head up wondering why you're so miserable. But if you learn that it's in my weakness that he's made strong, if you learn that it's when I'm weak, he's strong, if you learn if I lay down, he'll get up, if you learn if I'll move over, he'll step in, then you can have some real Christianity. The prophet said, truly, I am full of power. Now, that would work on TBN right now, and, and, and all the modern-day megachurch people would be like, see, you are powerful. That's not what he said. He said, I'm full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. And I'm full of judgment by the Spirit of the Lord. And I'm full of might by the Spirit of the Lord. That's why the Scripture says it's not by by our strength, but it's by the power of God's Spirit. But God gives us power to do what He wants us to do. See, some people can't do what God wants them to do because they don't have the Holy Ghost inside. The reason they don't have the Holy Ghost inside inside is because they've never been saved. The reason why they've never been saved is because they don't believe in God. And the reason why, the, the proof that they don't believe in God is they don't keep His commandments. You see how I just worked that backwards? you got to stay contextual. What does this Holy Spirit do for me? 
Well, he gives me love. I told you he gives me power, but he gives me love and a sound mind. Look at this next verse. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Instead of sound mind, some versions say self-control or self-discipline. But it's all about mental clarity. God has not given us a spirit of fear, comma. So you pause on the punctuation. You, you chew that. Chew on that. Think on that. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Well, the two major players in the supernatural, the God and the devil, good and bad, forces of good against the forces of evil. God has not given us a spirit of fear, so where did that spirit of fear come from? The devil. God has not given us a spirit of fear, or it may come from, you, you know, bad parenting, bad upbringing. It may come from bad self-thought, but it doesn't come from God. God gave us a spirit, Timothy knew that, or Paul knew that when he was writing to Timothy. God gave us a spirit, but it is not a spirit of fear. But sometimes, if you feel that fearfulness, one other translation says, or timidity, if you feel timid about speaking up for God, that doesn't come from God. And you need to realize, you need to learn how to tap in to the power of the Holy Spirit and not operate in this spirit of fear. There's a contrast being seen in this verse. There's, there's this and there's that. There's this spirit of fear that didn't come from God. There's, there's, there's that power of love and of a sound mind. There's a spirit of power. It's the Holy Spirit. See, you're not powerful, but there's a spirit of power. And that spirit of power lives in you if you're a Christian. And you're a Christian if you love him. And if you love him, you'll keep his commandments because it all works together. There's a spirit of power. Say power. There's a spirit of love and there's a spirit of a sound mind. This is descriptive of the spirit that God gives you. The spirit of power lives in you. How powerful do you feel? The spirit of love lives in you. How loving do you feel? The spirit of a sound mind lives in you. That's why when I see people who start to lose their mind, listen, there is nothing in the Bible that teaches us old age is designed to bring on fear and senility. These are all works of the devil. I, I've known too many old people in their, in their 90s who, who still live alone, who, who still cook for themselves, who, who, who still have all of their faculties about them. God has not designed for you to lose your mind just because you get up of 70 years old. You need to learn how to reject the wrong stuff and embrace the right stuff. Because there's some spirits out there that are wrong for us, but there is a spirit that is right for us. God has not given us a spirit of fear. He has given us a spirit of love. The Holy Ghost is loving. If you're not a loving person, then you're not operating in the spirit of God. If 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 you if you don't feel powerful, if you don't feel the power of God in you, if you don't feel the power of God's spirit in you, then you're not operating in the spirit of God. And if your mind is messing with you, then you need to understand this is not God in me. This is me in me. Or this is the devil in me. And you got to learn how to grab to the right stuff and let go of the wrong stuff. Last three scriptures I'm going to look at and then, then we're done. In Ephesians chapter 4, I'm, I'm asking the question, what does the Holy Ghost do for me? Well, it gives me power. It gives me love. It gives me a sound mind. It gives me a new nature. All throughout 
the New Testament, you, you read about this concept of put off the old, put on the new. Put off the old, put on the new. And in Ephesians 4.22, the word says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Throw off your old what? Sinful nature. If you read the book of Ephesians, he's talking to Christians. He's telling Christians to throw off their old sinful nature. So guess what Christians have? A sinful nature. But the good news is, if you're Christians, you have a sinful nature and the Spirit of God on the inside of you. If you're not a Christian, you just shot out with a, with a sinful nature. And you got nothing to, nothing to put on past that. Look at verse 23. Instead, here, here's this contrast. There's this and there's that. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Christian, we need to learn how to let the Spirit of God on the inside of us renew our thoughts and attitudes. Well, I wasn't raised like that. Well, get beyond, the, get beyond how you were raised and get into who God wants you to be. Get beyond how your upbringing had you and get into what God has for you. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Can God take a mean person and make them loving? Yes, he can. Can God take a hateful person and make them kind? Yes, he can. Can God take a racist and make them loving? Yes, he can. But it mandates that thoughts and attitudes be made new. You need some new thoughts. You need some new attitudes. It's not all about you. It's not all about your concepts. You need to let the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of you make new thoughts and attitudes. Look at the next verse. Put on your new nature. Two verses ago, he talked about what kind of nature? Oh, now he's talking about what kind of nature? Put on your new nature. Created to be like God. Truly righteous and holy. You can't be holy on your own. You can't be powerful on your own. You can't even be loving on your own. Not to God's level. But if you learn how to take off, and see, this language, because if you study the Bible or been around for a while, you understand that Greek is a picturesque language. They drew imagery through words. It's a picture of clothing. You put on. When I left my office, I knew I was going to walk through that cold courtyard, so I put on that jacket. And when I came in here, I put it off. I can put it on. I can put it off. I thank God everybody in here put on something to come here. I don't care if you come in, in, in blue jeans and T-shirt or if you come in uh, custom-made suits. I don't care what you wear as long as you wear something. You got to put something on. The opposite of that would be come out, and you don't want to do that. So you put on clothes, but you can take them off. You put them on, and you take them off. And this is the same way, and hear this, lock back in. Some of y'all drifting. I'm close with this. This is the same way that God wants you to learn how to be who he wants you to be. You got to put off you. Just like you take that shirt off today. Take those, that dress off. You just got you you to take off, take off you. Take off your old thoughts. Take off your, how you used to be. Take off your, your ungodly attitude, your ungodly actions. Take all that off. Just, just, just peel that off and put on the clothing of righteousness. 
put on the, the newness that God has brought in your life. I know every person who ever truly got saved at that moment of salvation, they felt all new. They felt happy. They felt like the weight of the world had been lifted off them. And, the, and, and there was a new thing going on in their life because the newness came. But by and by, life happens. And we put back on our old self. We put back on our ungodliness. We put back on our negativity. We put back on our wrong attitudes. We put back on judgmentalism and criticism. We put back on all the wrong. And God is telling you today to take that off and put this on. Take off you and put on God. Less of me and more of he. Take, take off this and put on that. See, because if you're truly saved, your heart's cry is, I want that. Oh, I want what he has for me. I want the mind of Christ. I want to please my father. I want that. I want that new. I, 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 I want that new nature. I want, I want true righteousness and holiness. I, I want what God has for me. You don't get to verse 24 before you go through verse 22. You're not going to put on all this new stuff God has for you, wearing them old man clothes. That old nature, still you being you. Well, I ain't trying to be anybody but me. Well, die and go to hell. That's your option. That's fully your right. You're more than welcome to. I'd rather you didn't because there's no coming back from that. Well, I ain't, try, I ain't trying to represent nobody but me, me, and mine. Hell will be your portion. That's the word of the Lord. But if you're willing to say, me is not enough, I need him. If you could ever come to the realization of how much he loves you and how his new plan for you is better than your old or current plan could ever be, then you'd be willing to say, I want to step out of me, and I'm going to step into him. This is what real Christianity is about. It's not about you trying to do better. It's not about you trying to, to accomplish more. It's about you giving up on your old way of life and embracing the new way of life that he has for you. It's about surrender. It's about yielding. It's about saying, you take the wheel. I'm not even going to side passenger drive. I'm going to get in the back seat. Just cheer you on. You take the wheel. See, we're, we're raised to be competitive, especially as men. We're raised to be competitive, and we're raised to be aggressive, and we're raised to, to be the real dominant forces, the, the one that wants the ball. See, that's why I like Kobe better than LeBron. The one that wants the ball for the final shot. That's how we're raised to be in our natural. But what God wants for us is to give him the ball and say, I want you to score, and I'll cheer for you. That's anti-us. That's not normal. It's supernatural. It takes 
your willingness to say, I will make myself low so he can be made high. See, we want to be all that. We want to be powerful. But real Christians want God to be powerful in them. You reminded me of a story, Junior. I was spending a few minutes with Junior in the office this morning. Telling me about his dogs. And I was thinking about this message while I was talking to him. Pit bulls. I was thinking about this dog, this dog story in it. Old nature, new nature. And it reminded me of a story about a man had two dogs in his backyard, both pit bulls. A red one and a brown one. They're both mean, angry, and aggressive, and they fight all the time. And one day his neighbor asked him, which one of those is stronger? He said, oh, they're both strong. He said, well, which one of them is more aggressive? Oh, they're both aggressive. Well, which one of them is dominant? Oh, they're both dominant. And the guy was getting frustrated. He's like, well, which one will beat the other one up? And the man thought, and he said, I guess whichever one I was feeding the most at the time. And as believers with an old nature in us and a new nature, I'm going to tell you, both those natures want to be dominant. Both those natures want to rise to the top. Both those natures want to control you. And whichever one you're feeding the most at the time will be the one who's winning. You feed your old nature on negativity, hatred, watching a bunch of politics and news, trying to divide us against each other, cheering, caring more about your political affiliation than you care about the people you're sitting next to. You, 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 you feed your mind filth and garbage on the Internet. You, you, you feed your mind filth and garbage by what you put into, in, into your mind through your eyes and through your ears and even through your mouth. You feed that old nature, and it begins to dominate your day and your week. But it's as you feed your new nature the things of God. When you begin to feed on the Bible, your desire, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put off all that. I'm, I'm, I'm putting on my new attitude. I'm putting on my new nature. I'm clothing myself in righteousness. I'm, 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 I'm letting the mind of Christ control me. I'm thinking with God thoughts. I'm seeing with God's eyes. I'm walking with God's feet. I'm being the hands and feet of God everywhere I go. You put on this. When you feed that new nature, that's why I told y'all, some of y'all, y'all, only time you read the Bible is when you come to church. Only time you sing to God is when you come to church. Only time you think of God when you come to church, you are being dominated by your old nature. Because the old nature just battles all the time. It wants to control. It wants to fill your mind full of everything that is not God. But you have to put that off like I put that jacket off. You got to put on the new man. If you had to be honest today, and don't answer out loud, but think in your mind, what have you been feeding the most this week? You've been feeding your old thoughts, or you've been feeding your new thoughts? Some of you don't even have a new nature because that new nature doesn't come until you get saved. 
And if you've never been saved, you don't have to walk an aisle, shake my hand, hug my neck to get saved. You don't, you don't have to be involved in some church service to get saved. The Bible says if you'll call on the name of the Lord, he will save you. All you got to do is ask God to save you, and he will do it. And he'll put his spirit on the inside of you. And he'll give you a new nature, and then you'll have a choice. Say choice. And I'm done. The choice is, Christian, do you want the old you to be what the world sees? Or do you want the new you to be what the world sees? Whichever one you feed the most, that's the one that's going to win. We've been feeding the old nature too much. That's why churches are full of negative, hateful people. That's why churches are full of backbiting, bittering, bitterness, and gossiping. That's why churches are filled with division, and I can't believe it. Listen, if somebody starts off a sentence with you, I can't believe Well, don't believe it, but don't tell me about it because I don't even want to hear it. Somebody starts off a sentence with, man, you ain't even going to believe it. No, I don't want to believe it, and I don't want to hear it. That's fueling your old Get in the Word of God. Sing songs to God. Come out and pray with us these next few nights over the end of this month. Let's feed the God in us so that He can dominate our lives and the world will know that there is a real God. His name is Jehovah and His Son is Jesus Christ. Pray with me. God, thank You for Your Spirit. Thank You for loving us the way that You do. Father, I pray that You would Give us a desire to take off our old ways and put on our new ways. Lord, I pray for those who are not saved in this place, Lord, that you would give them faith to believe in you. Father, I choose your way over my way, and I ask you to have your way in this church. God, I pray that you would motivate us unto righteousness, motivate us unto putting on the new and taking off the old. You are worthy, and we choose you today, and we thank you for loving us and for giving us your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.